Welcome to The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. What if you could learn more about natural movement from people who do the most unnatural things you have ever seen? Well, that's what we're going to find out about today. Today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, typically starting with the feet first because those things are your foundation, uh, where we find the mythology, the propaganda, sometimes the outright lies that you've been told about what it takes to run, to walk, to hike, dance, to play, to lift, to whatever it is that you like to do enjoyably, effectively, efficiently. I'm Stephen Sashen, your host from ZeroShoes.com. He says holding up his t-shirt to show the Zero Shoes t-shirt. And you know, we're creating a movement movement, trying to make natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food currently is. And it's a movement and that means it involves you. So if you want to be part of this, if you want to help people get the benefits and fun of natural movement, come over to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. That's where you can find all the previous episodes. You can find all the different places you can interact with us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, where you can review and share and like and comment and do all those things. You get the gist. You know how that works. In short, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. And let's just jump in then, shall we? I want to say hi to Jennifer Wilkins. And Jan, first of all, it looks like you are calling from a women's prison. It does look like that. This is actually my office right now, and it's the cleanest wall I've got. <laughs> so your office is in a women's prison, which is something I wasn't expecting to talk about, but here we are. I don't know how long you've been incarcerated or what you got put in for, but nonetheless. So why don't you tell people who the hell you are and why the hell you're here? You know, I am Jennifer Wilkins. I am here because I guess I am the most unnatural movement of the natural movers. (laughs) I own a circus arts facility, so it is called Circus Asylum. So maybe if I could be incarcerated in the asylum, that would probably make a little more sense. (laughs) Yeah, if you were wearing a white jacket and your arms were crossed, then that would be the perfect Circus Asylum thing. That's later. Yeah, that's later. That's that's evening wear. Jennifer Wilkins' (laughs) evening wear collection. Straight jacket. Straight jacket. Exactly. As far as natural movement goes, I probably have to say I'm one of those people that is, it's not natural for me. It's probably one of the biggest struggles that I've ever had is to learn how to move naturally. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. You know, you've got your athletes that have those natural gifts, if you will, you know, whether it's natural runner or naturally flexible or naturally strong. I find that really none of it's that natural and all has to, all has to be worked on in some manner. But I was unfortunately not gifted with really any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was born with arms and legs. Worker. That's what yeah. I am. I, yeah, I've yeah, learned yeah. how to work hard because none of it's made sense to me. I'm a very literal person. And so if you tell me something, you know, as simple as just do this, it comes out completely different than what the simple instruction was. <laughs> so. so you have right now. Circus Asylum, a circus arts school. I'm going to kind of do your history backwards to get there. So let's start with this. The people who come to Circus Asylum, what are they coming? What are they doing? What are you teaching them? So the people that come to Circus Asylum are those people that just are looking for something fun to do. Every now and then I'll get those people that say, oh, this has always been on my bucket list. You know, I've always wanted to try this, but I never wanted to be a bucket list business owner. <laughs> right? I, don't want, I don't want people to come in and go, okay, did it. See you later. So what I've done is developed programs that are based less around competition and performance. Although those are some of those things we can offer to our students, but more around, Hey, you never thought you could do this before in your whole life. Well, let me show you how. And so we give them very small incremental movements that 
start to become more natural, if you will. So, so my students are very similar to myself in that, you know, they come in and, and instead of saying, just do this trick, it's let me break down this movement into as many different pieces as I possibly can in order to strengthen the fine motor control within your body so that not only are you great in here, but you're great outside of here as well in your everyday life, which is where it really matters. Well, let's just cut to the chase. How many people can you fit in a very tiny car while they're wearing clown outfits? Because that's what people want to know. I mean, that's really- You know, if clowning was part of my specialty, I would let you know, (laughs) but I'll have to refer you on that question. (laughs) (laughs) So which of these circus apparati, I'm not trying to show off my Latin, but I I know absolutely no Latin. I have never studied Latin, uh, big Latin, and even that I didn't do great at. So what are the, the actual circus skill things that you're having people do? So we have the very controversial pole dancing, which I think is a fantastic art form. We have two different styles. We have your, you know, more chrome pole that people are familiar with. They have a different name for it, of course. We call it a chrome pole and not a stripper pole, but it could be, whatever. We also have wrapped poles that have kind of a rubber uh, grip to it, which is more of like your Chinese pole type of thing. So we try and offer as many different varieties as we can in that art. We also have silks and lira, which is the hoop that hangs from the ceiling. We offer contortion-like classes, but our biggest sellers, I'd have to say, is our foundational classes, the ones that build everybody up to those apparatus or apparati, if you will. We'll we'll come back to that part. So as stripper poles go, so I actually did, (laughs) there was a circus school here. There still is here in Boulder. I was doing Chinese pole. In fact, what happened for me, so I was an all-American gymnast way back when, blew out my knee, was looking for something to do for years. Before I got back into running, I found this whole circus thing. And I always, Chinese pole, for people who don't know, just imagine it's like a three-inch pole, four-inch pole, goes, you know, like 20 feet in the air. And you'll watch people climbing and doing all these amazing things, sliding up and sliding down. I remember the first time I saw Cirque du Soleil, there was a Chinese pole act. And one of the bits or one of the the skills that someone did, and people are going to have to imagine this, is basically just imagine climbing a rope with just your hands, but they're climbing up this pole while rotating around the pole and their body is perpendicular to the ground parallel to the pole. Now, when I saw this, everyone in the audience was kind of like, hey, applauding gently. I am jumping out of my chair screaming, you have got to be kidding me. It was like the most insane thing I've ever seen. And so from that moment, I said, I got to do this. And I really loved doing Chinese pole, except that, boy, that is just an injury waiting to happen. No, that's not true. It's just, it is really, really hard to do really, really good stuff. And, And like being a gymnast, you end up with, you know, rips on your hands and burn marks on your, every part of your body. And I yeah. loved it. I mean, I had so much fun doing yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> but I also realized at some point, you know, there was probably not much of a market for that time of, you know, 40 year old Chinese pole acrobat. Hey, so, you never know. <laughs> yeah, well, you never know, but you can make a pretty good guess. So, so I didn't do that, but anyway, but, but totally, totally love it. And it is, it's fascinating to me that the whole quote stripper pole thing has, has taken off. And I don't think people, I know this is going to be fun. I don't think people get how hard it is to do that, especially possibly maybe harder in a G string than anything else. But other than on YouTube for people who are doing this and doing that quote stripper pole class, I've never been to a strip club where I at all, actually, no, I take it back. I was taken to one 
wait, I take, oh, wait, I'm going to take it back. <laughs> I, was, I was taken to one when I was doing You're comedy welcome. for a living. The, the club owner at this club in Houston, his best friend owned a strip club. So he took us there for lunch, nobody on the pole. And then when I first started doing comedy, I was 16 and the comedy club in DC was above a strip club. And I will, vi- I vividly remember you could walk up the stairs to get to the comedy club. You had to walk through the strip club to leave. And I just remember walking through like shielding my eyes going, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I think this is oh, a, too bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was so not willing to watch when that was the whole idea. But regardless, I was like, yikes. So anyway, that's my entire connection to strippers and stripper poles. But it's fascinating seeing how that's become a thing because it's just not easy. And when no. it looks easy, that's because people are really good. Yes. And I think that's the hardest part about being a performer in any art really is when you've dedicated so much time to it, you make those super advanced movements look super simple. And so you perform them for an audience that has no idea the right. difficulty of it and they just don't appreciate it the same. <laughs> well, it's sort of like magicians. Most magicians have this unconscious thing where they try to, you know, if you're, if you're doing a, like a good sleight of hand magician, many of them will spend years working on something that you're not mm-hmm. supposed to see, but because they spent so much time working on it, they have to telegraph something or they just try to make you feel like an, like an ass because like, <laughs> Hey, I totally fooled you and you're an ass. And because they just can't handle the fact that they work so hard on something that's now invisible, which yeah. is entertaining. So, but all right, backing up in your history though, because I think this is irrelevant. So talk to me about how you, the, the circusy things that you were doing that led to opening Circus Asylum. And then I want you to definitely talk about the part where, you know, you were, according to you, not gifted in any way and what it took to go from being not gifted to all the things that you're going to describe that you did. Okay. So, you know, kind of funny when I was little, people would refer to me as a circus freak. So I think it's fitting that I'm here now. <laughs> Why were they saying that, Jen? So I, I was what was considered double jointed, right? I had a fun trick that I would do where I would jump rope with my arms without letting go of my hands. So that was always a good party trick. So like <laughs> like dis- dislocating and inlocating that whole yes, thing? Like, oh exactly. man. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, I could I could do all sorts of just wacky things with my arms no flexibility, no body awareness. I was like a baby giraffe. You know, I just grew real tall, real fast. I'm about 5'10", almost 5'11", I would say. So I'm kind of on the taller end of, you know, acrobatic type of people. And so I just, you know, I deemed myself just a little freaky through the shoulders and very strong. I thought I was very strong. And so I would lift really heavy. You know, I got into athletics as I got older, stopped jump roping with my arms because the doctor told me it was bad. So I thought, oh, you know, he must notice. I should stop that, which he was right because, you know, I wasn't doing it mindfully. I was just doing it right to get a reaction. Well, then there's also all the vomiting that it induces in other people. That know. was the point. Yeah. <laughs> no, <that> was- <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're going to do it, you may as well get some sort of reaction. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Hold on. I got I to gotta tell you something about that. So just like seeing people do things with their body that just seems not right. I find it very funny how viscerally we just respond to that. It's like, oh, geez. <laughs> like, I mean, the other day I was doing some little stunty things to take pictures for our catalog and I tripped on a, I was running down the road and had to jump or step onto a, a sewer whatever the word is I'm looking for, where the water goes into the sewer thing. Yeah, I got that. Anyway, and caught my foot in a weird way, fell down. And when I got up, I, I was going, I don't think I, my foot's bleeding, but it feels really weird. Uh, like the sensations were peculiar. And I took off my shoe and the sensations were peculiar because my fourth toe, the one next to my pinky toe was pointing up 
because I had dislocated and just spun around 180 degrees. Exactly. So even just that, you know, it's like, whoa, that's wrong. And I looked at it and I went, oh, that is not okay. It didn't hurt. And then I just touched it and it snapped back in place. It was like, oh Oh my gosh, good thing it did. Right. Yeah. So just, you know, seeing people do weird things like jumping around with their arms, I find it fascinating how vomit inducing that really is for people. You know, what's really funny is when I used to watch contortionists when I was little, I had the same reaction. Oh, funny. I couldn't watch it. I could not watch it. Absolutely would just get sick to my stomach and could feel the pains. But the main thing was, is I felt the pain because my body couldn't do it. Oh. Right. So I was empathizing with if myself was doing, if, if that sounds weird, if I was doing what that person was doing, how would it feel for me? Right. What I've come to find is if it's done correctly, does not hurt and does right. not feel that scary. And so that's where, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting where I did start, you know, just this complete opposite end of everything that I'm doing now. Sorry. Right, so let's make that, tra- do that transition from jumping rope through your arms to what happened next that got you all circusy. So I'd have to say that, you know, I, I first had everything start with a question, right? My question was, why is it that I'm working just as hard as all of these other athletes and I'm getting injured and I'm not really getting any better? <laughs> you know, I, oh, interesting. Um, I did all sorts of different athletics, you know, how, soccer, how basketball, you? probably 16 or 17 when I started wondering why it was that. I'm still so uncoordinated and still like lifting all these heavy weights or what I thought was heavy, you know, but in very poor form, I'd have to say, but still not able to run faster or be more kinetic with my movement. Right. And so it went on to, you know, I got interested in more of the personal trainer life. I did do the exotic dance for a little while, which the funny thing is, is exotic dance is so connected. Right. And I, uh, I learned the most amount of fluid movement from that job. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And just watching and appreciating, you know, the human form in all its glory and, and the way that it could be done in such a slow and connected way really, really intrigued me. And so I, I started going through more movement connection just by what it looked like versus how it felt, right? I mean, I was very uh, superficial. I was doing this job that's very superficial. And so everything was external. And I, I did, I got really good at the external movement after just years and years and years of trying to figure out why it was that I could work really hard, but not see the same result or the result that I was looking for ultimately. And so after that, you know, I had started my business about four months into my dancing career with a gal that owned a shop and she was trying to bring in new customers. She had a high end lingerie store. It was right when the recession hit. So it was a little tricky to get business in for, you know, high end lingerie. So we started doing classes together and, and doing more like women empowerment, things like that. But, you know, then I, throughout my career, I constantly always have these questions popping up of, okay, well now I've got these people who are bucket list students. They come in, they want to try it, they get empowered, they go home, I never see them again. And so was I really empowering them or, or was it just forgettable? You know what I mean? So right. how do I become more of an influence in people's everyday lives to where they want to come back? And, and not only that, but how do I give my students the results that I want them to be telling other people. So those are the questions that really started my program development into more of the fitness industry versus 
you know, hearing these things of like, oh, I had so many bruises or, you know, I got these pole burns or, you know, my bones are hurting from whatever we were doing, you know, what have you, or my feet hurt. You know, that was one thing I was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't want them to be telling their friends about that, you right. know, and I don't want them to take that home with them. I really want to do well and give them some value. So that's kind of how this has all evolved. So. To be the conversation you and I had prior to this, I mean, and, and I think it's, uh, this is probably about your foundational class. What kind of woke you up to the way you think about natural movement and the various iterations of natural movement and how and what you're now sharing with people about that? So I have suffered a lot of injuries from what I've done. You know, I have about 16 years experience. We'll say eight years of definite lack of understanding of how to be functional. Mm. I could still do the things that I was seeing and have these incredible pictures and, and what have you, but my body felt completely different than it does now. And, and my biggest thing was if I want to do this forever, I should probably not feel this way. So about halfway into my career, I started diving into more kinesiology. And once I understood what kinesiology was and, you know, I had never really heard heard the terminology of that before. I mean, I know human anatomy, I know personal training, I know, you know, I did bodybuilding competitions, I did all these things that's supposed to be like fitness, right, or overall health and wellness. And I felt like crap. I mean, my insides felt like crap, my joints felt like crap, my energy levels were suffering, I was grumpy all the time, <laughs> you know, and, and just had a much more toxic view on fitness. Whereas once I understood what kinesiology was, I couldn't get enough of it. So any book that I could find on it, whether it was gymnastics, whether it was dance, whether it was just overall human anatomy and kinesiology, you know, I, I just can't get enough of it. And I'm just hungry for it all the time. And that's really what started getting my brain geared towards more. Oh my gosh, like I have never really thought about just working my feet or mm. just working my fingers and my wrists or, you know, like every single inch of you counts. And if you have all these muscles that work in connection and some of them are faltering and they're, they're quite literally being ignored, then how are you going to expect to achieve this huge full body result without focusing on the full body in its entirety? So I should have interrupted you to ask this. You know, we might have lost everybody with apparati, but would you, uh, <laughs> would you like to give a definition for humans of kinesiology? Yes. So kinesiology is the study of human movement. It's how the body is actually connected within the muscular system, not only through muscles, but with connective tissues. And if you understand how that works, how the gears fit together, how they work in conjunction so that you're not initially grinding the gears as you're doing a maneuver, whatever that may be, even if it's just something as simple as sitting down in a chair, <laughs> you know, you don't understand the body weight distribution, you don't understand the physics behind the body mechanics, then things will falter eventually and, and things break apart just like anything, any machine. So you know? let's talk about, I'm, I'm really curious about your foundation class and just talking about the things that when people walk in, what issues you, you see with many or most or all people? And what are the things that you do to get them? I mean, I love this idea that we're talking about natural movement and we're talking about the whole body. So whether you want to talk about you know feet first or just what you see with people just moving, standing, walking, sitting, et cetera, I'll let you kind of take it from here. But I mean, this is the thing that I find really compelling. It's funny, you made me think, there, I, I did some work with a guy who used to be the head of biomechanics for the US Olympic Committee. And he, and he said, um, almost anyone who walked into his office, their glute medius was just not doing anything. 
Just one of those yeah. things. He gave almost everyone that correction. When I've done stuff with Irene Davis from Harvard or Brian Heiderscheidt, who I think is in Wisconsin, I can never remember, or other people that I know who deal a lot with runners, what they find is almost all, almost all the injured runners that walk in, their glutes just aren't working properly or at all based on the way they're running. So that's an, an easy one for running, but your experience extends beyond that to just you know living. So I'm really curious to hear what you see and then what you do to help people with that. So what I've come to find is that, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this, sitting in a chair is one of the biggest injuries that I see people come in with. And injury doesn't mean, you know, oh, now it's time for physical therapy or surgery. An injury can be as minor as paper cut, you know, as a compromise in your system that can affect you. And if you have a paper cut on your finger and you're trying to use your hands to climb, like you're going to feel it and it's going to affect the way you're climbing. So when people come in, it's, it is true that I'd say that their glutes are not working properly, but it goes so much deeper than that in that if they don't understand how to align their skeletal system properly, I find nearly impossible to get those muscles to fire correctly hmm. at all because you're quite literally not putting them in the right place to fit within that puzzle, right? So if you have a puzzle and you've got it even just a little crooked, you can shove at it all day long it's not going to go into place until you turn it just a little bit. It'll set right in, no problem. So what people understand about fitness, I think, is also the biggest problem is they, you know, the, the whole go big or go home, all these things. No and they forget that, Yeah, all that crap, you know. I feel like if you don't have that relationship with your body to understand like, oh, how is it actually supposed to just be aligned in movement, period, it just won't work. So, you know, people will say feet first, right? If you work their feet, then everything above, because those are the foundation, it'll all work great. Well, if you only work the feet and you don't work the knees or, or the gluteal area, then you'll work the feet all day long, but then you're adding more stress to the knees and the, and the hips structure, the hip structure, which then radiates all the way up to the neck. You know, again, it's all right. connected. So what I found, the, the biggest thing I start people with is their transverse understanding. So the transverse abdominals, I don't know if you know what transverse well, abdominals I do, but talk to people. Some people don't, yeah. So as far as what those are, it's basically this huge giant belt or for the ladies, a corset muscle, right? That is your foundational muscle, basically wraps around from the front of you to the back. And if that muscular group is not functioning properly, that's your main support and stability, right? It's a very large muscle that wraps all the way around. So if you don't have an understanding of that muscle, how are you going to fire the glutes? And then if the glutes are firing properly, the transverses is firing properly, then you can work down the chain of what are your knees doing? What are your ankles doing? How are your feet holding you? So that your center of mass is being held through the trunk. And then you can work out from there is kind of what I found is most beneficial. Interesting. Can you give people an example of how they can get in touch with their transverse abdominis? One cue that I give is if you were to think that you were walking into a freezing cold pool of water that goes up to about waist deep. <laughs> what does your body do? You know, it mm-hmm. oh, tightens everything up, tries to protect. Basically, all trying the- to pull everything out of the water before it hits the water. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Tightens it all up, right? Binds those muscles together, and then you can think from the center out. That's my my favorite way to work people. But I'll tell you, sitting in a chair is the thing that kills you because for one, and I'm, I'm doing it right now, I'm kind of slumping down, but I try and change positions as much as possible. And that is with that holding through the center. So when you do sit in a chair, you move primarily upper body, right? You hinge right. at the upper body, you work with hinge joints through your ball and socket joint. I mean, you, you turn 
your your machine into something completely different, although it has function to do more. So I actually really have to teach people how to use their lower extremities just as much as their upper and understanding where their center actually is because we spend a lot of time sitting. That's kind of our culture, you know? So for people who do spend a lot of time sitting, I mean, more than half of our, I'm looking around, more than half of our employees are at standing desks, but the thing, or, and I've got a treadmill desk. Sometimes I have it on, sometimes I just stand at it. Um, I actually go back and forth between the treadmill and certain conversations I kind of need to be sitting for. But if you're going to give people a correction for one thing they could think about to correct the effects of sitting, what would you recommend? So you've heard of the yoga ball chairs. Mm -hmm. probably. If you haven't heard of the yoga ball chairs, I don't recommend just sitting on a yoga ball. That can be dangerous if they roll away from you, things like that. But there are chairs that they actually bind the ball. Yes, but, but, but to be clear though, if you do use just the yoga ball, which I used to do, and you do fall off of it and you do catch it on camera, could be some really good viral <laughs> advertising. So, well, if that's what you're going you know, for, sure, yeah, but gotta, don't say gotta, that I told you to. You've got to weigh the pro and the cons here. It's an advertising opportunity. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, they, those can get kind of expensive. If you've ever heard of a Dyna disc before, those are also a little stability inflatable disc, you know, mm-hmm. kind of an interesting thing to be bringing into the office. But I do recommend that to a lot of my students. And the reason why is because it's not flat. So it allows your body to move forward, to move side to side, to move back. And you're constantly having to stabilize. So you can't just sink down with gravity. You actually have to hold yourself upright against gravity using your muscle, which is the point. But that's what we kind of forget to do, especially when we're focused on a screen or something external, we forget to go inside to see what's actually happening. So you don't have a Dyna disc, you don't have a yoga ball chair with or without the chair part. What do you recommend for the people in that situation? I mean, some of it is not necessarily something you're going to do while sitting, I imagine, but something you're going to do correctively after when you get up every now and then, if you've got to go to the bathroom, get a glass of water, do something, you know, is there like a cue or something people should be thinking about when they're sitting down, getting up, walking, you know, to and fro? Yeah. Wow, where the hell did that come from? That sounds like a, it's going to be the beginning of a Dr. Seuss yeah. <laughs> anyway. Do you walk here and there? Yes. <laughs> are, are you walking to and fro? Uh, I'm not good at running. <laughs> give, me, give me another line for are you walking to and fro? Bend uh, over, touch your toe. I don't know. Something. I like it. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> are you walking to and fro? Try bending over and touch your toe. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think w- without being hands-on, without being able to visually show somebody what to do, because it, Again, simple movement that is actually very complex for our neuromuscular to understand merely because we don't move like this anymore. So if I were to give you just a verbal cue that somebody could possibly understand, get creative with your movement. If you're always walking forward and you're never walking to the side, you're never doing the grapevine, you're never walking backwards, you're never turning in circles, you're going to lose that. If you don't use it, you lose it. I like that. So the more stimulating, the better. I like I like the idea of you know walking walking sideways or spinning around as you go. You reminded me when I did my first barefoot run, I was just so intrigued by the process that I was just trying everything that I could think of to move. I was trying to you know move my legs faster without running faster, move my legs slower without running slower, run faster, run slower without moving my legs at a different speed. You know, land on different parts of my feet. Everything I could think of, and it was just so fascinating combining that with just all the different feelings that I ended up running a little over 5K, which doesn't sound like much for most people, but I'm a 100-meter sprinter. I'd never run more than a mile before. That's that's okay, yeah. (laughs) yeah, But but I love that. Just like, you know, I'll tell you one of the things that I do, and I don't know if we've ever, if I've done this on the podcast, 
in terms of trying to move differently for little things. Here, wait, I'm going to do this one with you. I think I might have done this. Cross your arms. Oh, I'm holding my phone. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> well, then just, well, here, I'll just have people do it. Like cross your arms and okay. just which arm is, you know, the furthest in front of you. In my case, it's the right. And then uh-huh. switch. And Feels interesting. it's amazing. Yeah. Most people can't do it at all. And, and that's a really fun one to do is like learning how to cross your arms in Both either ways. direction. And it's gotten yeah. to the point where I'm not sure which one I actually normally do. But the other one, I'll, I'll change uh, which leg I put in my pants first uh-huh. or the way I turn putting on my shirt. I have learned, you know, I thought everyone tied shoes the way I learned to tie shoes. Now running a shoe company, I've seen probably a hundred different ways to tie shoes. So <laughs> when I have shoes to tie, I try those. Yeah. So, so and that, you know, that's where that whole natural thing comes into play where people say natural, but if I were to say, I want you to tie your shoes like me, it wouldn't yeah. be natural <laughs> because that's natural for me. But what's natural for me is not natural for somebody else. So are you saying that parents are messing up their children just by teaching them how to tie their shoes? Is that what I hear you saying, Jennifer? That's a part of being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> messing up your children. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it all begins. Soon after that, they're going to believe the earth is flat. So it's really, that is really a mess. So that's an interesting thing. So what are the other foundational things or what are the other kind of things you're doing in the foundational class? But I, Oh, wait, I want to back up to the transverse abdominis thing. When I thought about just, you know, stepping into cold water and what I do, which I do on a regular basis, not because I'm into cold water, but I like jumping in Boulder Creek and it always yeah. happens to be cold. <laughs> so I'm also thinking of this thing of like exhaling and then try to like push out your stomach without letting your stomach push out. So it's like, you know, giving yourself some space and then creating that tension around that whole corsity area of just feeling not the flexing part that we get with the six pack muscles, but just creating that tension all around that really does make you feel stable. And I've talked about this with running. That's basically, if you don't do that, you're not creating a tight spring. So you're not getting the right force in or out of the ground. Right. And then your legs are moving without your upper body and how well is that going to work? That's a good it can look kind of like Fred Flintstone starting the Flintstone movie. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so back to your foundational class, which I wish I could jump into and then I'd have that. So tell, tell me more about what people do in there. So as far as our foundational class, we do use our poles for that. We do have stall bars, which are like these ladders that are attached to the wall as well. So you can hold on to those for stability. But again, you know, if I were to say to somebody, I want you to do a lunge, I will see a different lunge on every single person that's in that room. So we break the lunge down into the most minimal explanation of here's where I want your toes to point on the forward leg. Here's where your heel should be. Here's where your weight should be on your foot. Here's where your knee is in conjunction to your heel. Here's where your hip is in conjunction to your knee. And we go over the whole thing till it's, you know, almost painful um, for the instructor with so much explanation, but then they all look the same. Mm. And then they feel the same because we're telling them, you know, it, it shouldn't have pressure on your knee. You shouldn't have pinching through your connective tissues or pulling through your hip. You know, if any of these are present, let's fix it. It's not just, oh, that's my bad hip or, oh, it's just my, it's not correct. They're, your mm. body is quite literally communicating with you. This hurts. Fix it. You're doing right. something wrong. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, so I know that if I were just listening to this, which in a way I kind of am, the first thing that I'd be thinking is, all right, you got to throw me a bone here. Like what are some of the common things that you see wrong with something as important as lunging, which I think is an incredible exercise. 
since running is, you know, basically just jumping from leg to leg, lunging is sort of the, the squat version of that in a way. Yeah, um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do you see people doing wrong or, you know, what corrections could you, or what things could you ask people to pay attention to who are just listening or watching this that might give them something to be creative with and experiment with and discover? What I like to tell people is for one, watch your hip width. There's several different ways to lunge. You can do like a split lunge, which is initially one leg forward, one leg back as if you were going to go into a split, or you could do a wide stance lunge where you're more like shoulder width a little bit wider. So what people tend to do is they'll stand with their feet together and I'll say lunge. And what will happen is that forward leg, of course, stays. Mm. The back leg finds its way back, but typically it tries to go right behind the forward leg. So if you were to think, you know, I'm going to build this, table, right? And I'm going to put one leg in front of the other and expect it to hold anything on top. You're out of your mind. It's going to tip over. Right. And so people are doing walking lunges, wobbling back and forth. And they're wondering why it's like, well, your feet are right in front of another, you know, you don't have a base to stand on. So to watch out for your base, making sure you're, you're making a rectangular shape. Mm. If you had sticks or even string, you could trace, you know, your front of your rectangle across the front foot. And then you'll draw a line perpendicular down the side, right parallel behind the heel of the back leg, and then shape it up to the other side. See what kind of rectangle you're making with your feet Mm. placement. If you have a good solid foot placement, that's just the start. The other thing is to watch the knees. They love to dive in because if you think about how many people sit in chairs with their legs crossed, there's usually one leg that will dive in as well as the other if you're crossing in like a figure four pattern or if you're crossing just at the knee. We typically have our knees together for a lot of Mm. things that we do. Sitting down and standing up in a chair, watch what your knees do. They like to come together to brace off of each other and then stand up. But that's where the glutes are are misfiring, right? Is you're not consciously thinking, drive the knees out. If you're driving the knees out, you're again making a, a wider base for you to stand on. So if your lunge is having the knees diving in, you're going to collapse through and that's going to create knee pressure, which is also going to bring you to the insides of your feet because your weight is traveling that way. So then we've got collapsed arches or, you know, whatever that case may be. And finally, just for three points to at least Mm -hmm. look at, you know, you've got your strong base, watch the width of your feet. You've got your knees driving out. And then what are your hips doing? Are your hips going into a, a position where your back is arching? Because if your back is arching, you have a little bit more pressure through your lower spine and it tends to create a completely different balance. If you tuck your hips under just enough into that transverse activation again, you will actually lock everything together, creating a much more stable position because your legs and your upper body are now connected and working as one instead of trying to balance your upper body kind of weaving back and forth while your legs are doing the opposing movements to stabilize. I love it. And roughly when when people are doing a lunge in this way, like how far, uh, how much distance is their front and back? I mean, how far are they stepping out? So if you're brand new at lunging, I typically tell them to just focus on the forward leg. If your knee is driving all the way over your toes to the point of where it's passing over the toes, then you've got your body weight off. So the body weight distribution is not quite right. And you can create a lot of pressure because you've got a triangular angle through the front leg. So I go more for that 90 degrees. You can play within, you know, variables of that. But again, if you're brand new to it, I try and get the knee stacked directly above the heel. So even Mm. if you're just holding onto the wall 
holding on to the pole, you can focus on the alignment of the forward leg and then start to make your lunge wider with practice. Oh, uh, interesting. It's funny. So as a, a sprinter, one of the things we do when we're lunging is reaching way, way out in part because it's turning into a hip flexor stretch at the same time. Right. And similarly doing in a way something different than what you're describing of some people when they're lunging their body, their upper body is really upright. And we're doing it where the upper body isn't so much upright, but it's really, again, like doing a single leg squat. So yeah. the glutes are like way back. It's really trying to make it a glute exercise rather yeah. than a quad exercise. So it's sort of a weird thing of like, imagine sitting back to get into a chair while you're stepping forward into a yes. lunge, yes. which is a really interesting way. I like to think about that. It's like my foot hits the ground, but then I want to think about sitting back rather than just dropping down. Yeah. And so that brings up kind of an interesting thought too, in that, you know, we have a lot of talk about what's right and wrong in movement. Mm-hmm. My business partner put it so simply, he said, it's not about right or wrong. It's about less efficient or more efficient. Yeah. Right. So we have different patterns. You know, if you can think like, okay, the alphabet has 26 letters. How many combinations of those 26 letters can you make? Four. Oh, sorry. Billion. (laughs) All I can do is four. That's really all I've got so far. So then you think, okay, well, we have about 106 bones and over 232 muscles that we, you know, focus on the majority of over how many combinations can those make, (laughs) you know? And so if you understand the physics and the mechanics of the body, you know, you could come up with several different lunging type of things, depending upon what your sport or your, or your goal movement would be. However, you know, then we're missing a bunch of motor control skills that we could have, whether we use them or not. I say the better you are is the more information you have, the more, more patterns you're using. You know, so that's kind of a a thing to think about as well as when you are doing lunges, you know, what are you doing them for first and foremost? Mm. Um, If you're running, you're going to have a different focus on what your lunge is. However, you know, leaning forward or leaning back or turning side to side, you know, going up and down on your toes, taking one leg to the front and bringing it back around to the back while you're stabilizing. I mean, there's just so many different combinations of things you could do in a base lunge position. Right. That quite frankly, I think a lot of us are missing. Oh, you know, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I just have this other memory. So there's certain lunge patterns that I just don't really bother doing because again, a sprinter, sorry, here's the weird thought. I went to a CrossFit gym for the first time years ago and I walked in and I went, oh my God, this is my fantasy garage. I mean, I just want all these toys. <laughs> and, and they kept you know, wanting to talk to me about becoming a better athlete by doing CrossFit. Now we can have arguments about whether CrossFit does that or not, but I kept saying, I'm not trying to become a better athlete. I'm just trying to get that much faster in a straight line. Yeah. And they didn't understand that. So it's like yesterday, <laughs> yesterday on the track, in fact, my, my training partner wanted to do some things that had to do with lateral motions and twisting. And I said, yeah, yeah I just don't care. <laughs> I'm just moving forward today. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, she did those and I just watched. But the thing that's so funny is on the one hand, it kind of makes sense. I'm really just, I was really focusing on just starts and acceleration. On the other hand, if you don't do some of that lateral stuff, you are losing some of the connections that allow you to do something yes. linear. Yes, exactly. And again, it goes back to that connection. If one part is weak, the rest of it will falter. You know, so it's the stronger you can make yourself in all the ways, not only with your, you know, your speed and and accuracy, but let's say you hit uneven ground when you're running, what's your body going to do? If it hasn't been trained to correct that, 
you're probably going to end up with, and I, I don't want to jinx it, but just, you know, a serious injury just for the lack of understanding how to recorrect that side movement that wasn't trained as efficiently as the other. Interesting. I want to back up to something you said before that, I, that I, I'm really getting a kick out of. So when we see people doing contortion, which looks like the most insane thing a human body can do, can you talk to me about, quote, the natural aspect of that when you said, you know, if you do it right, it doesn't hurt, for example. Yeah. Uh, I mean, talk to me about the natural component of a super unnatural thing. I mean, pick, a, pick your favorite contorted pose and kind of okay. go so one of my favorite things to do, I'm a creepy lover. I love to creep people out. I love to be creepy. <laughs> so one of my favorite things to do is basically be standing and just fold myself in half backwards and just kind of hang there for a while until I decide to start crawling towards them, you know, in more of an exorcist sort of way. Oh, okay. That's yeah. always a crowd pleaser. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the crowd you're hanging out with. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that's true. However, I'm always pleased. So that's what matters. There you go. <laughs> I think a lot about, you know, adaptation in that, gosh, six years ago, if you would have said I was doing what I was doing, I would have laughed at you because I deemed myself not flexible a long Mm. time ago and had said, you know, if I just become really strong, then that's going to be my superpower and I'll just run with it, you know. But what I noticed was I accidentally kept getting more flexible. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> how, how does one accidentally get flexible? It's not like it's not like dropping an egg while you're making an omelet. That's it's, well. It's kind like of. What, what is it? One day, one day you slip on the ice, and suddenly you got your legs behind your head. And you go, oh, check that out. Oh, look you at know. this! Yeah. yeah. Who knew? <laughs> no, but you know, let's say um, for instance, full body movement, right? So if you're standing still, and then you push your hips over to one side, much like maybe a typewriter would yeah, right Ding, if any, for the audience that doesn't know what a typewriter is i'm really sorry look at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god sorry you just made me feel so oh man me too it's, we're there it's, together it's cool oh that was that was really that was mean yeah. so if you're standing back to back to this if you're standing and you're creating a circular movement with your hips what is your upper body doing you know it's kind of moving opposite the hip rotation and you just do that a few times each way What you'll notice is since the body is made up of elastin everywhere, much like a very thick rubber band, if you try and pull it as far as you can, like your analogy of slipping on the ice and your legs flying over, things are going to start to fray and break, right? Right. That's an abrupt change. There's no way to adapt to that. Right. But what I found is when I started doing this, you know, foundational class where we're getting into these wider lunges, we're doing deeper squats. But we're not going to the point of where it's like, oh my gosh, that's a stretch. It's like, okay, we're going to come down, mild discomfort, hold it for three to five seconds, come out of it, Mm. go back into it, go a little bit lower, hold for three to five seconds, come out of it. By the end of it, you know, it's again, that rubber band theory, you've warmed it up, you've loosened it out. And that thing is stretching so far now with no phrase and no breaks. Now it's pliable. Now you can use it that way. So your body works very similarly. So through these exercises that I was doing, through just, you know, teaching these things, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, things are going further. How is this happening? So again, there's another question. How am I getting more flexible? What am I doing that's making this happen? And it was that dynamic movement that I was doing. And so I started really targeting that dynamic movement, getting rid of the static stretch type stuff. I mean, our static holds are very, very rarely used, but we do train them because, hey, let's, let's be honest, it's a part of movement, right? That's sure. static holding. 
you know, once, once I started going more into that, my body started adapting to all these things. I started learning more about the strength behind flexibility, not just pull on it till it goes. It doesn't work that way. You've got to quite literally set your bones in a way that they're not grinding. They're not pinching into your connective tissue, but you understand how each joint works in conjunction with the others. Once you get that, like you were saying, going inside and really honing in on those techniques, it becomes so fascinating that you're going, what else can I do? You know, and you, you do a combination of simple, if you will, movements, and you just increase ever so slightly on those movements to find those ranges of motion that are not only safe, but are actually very doable. So one of the things that I'm hearing you say that I'm really intrigued by, and I've got another thought that goes along with it, is that to do something like this, you know, a crazy backward bend is in a way more of a strength exercise, a strength activity than just a quote flexibility thing. But it has to do with learning how to apply the right strength in the right place at the right time, right angles. I'm remembering, I just, it just hit me. Again, thinking back to when I was 15, 16 doing gymnastics and we were working on various forms of splits or, or the biggest thing we were working on actually was a strap. What's the word? I can't even find the, the word I'm looking for. Um, basically, straddle. I know what you're well, talking not, about. But like a, like a, I can't think of it. So you're, imagine you're sitting on the ground, you put your hands between your legs and you're straddled and then you just push yourself uh, up. Press so, you know, down. Yes, yeah, so kind of like an L sit, but you know, straddle L is yeah, what I'm thinking gotcha. of. But the thing that I remember working on is like sitting with my legs straddled and just lifting my feet off the ground. So, Mm -hmm. and what I was doing when I was doing that is strengthening my quads like crazy because it's the quads pulling the leg up, which made me more flexible because Uh I was learning how to lift something instead of stretch something. That's the analogy that I thought of with your description. Exactly. A lot of people think flexibility has a lot to do with just pull or push as hard as you can until it gets more stretchy. Right. Um, the problem with that is you can go too far and then cause injuries, which will then be almost restructured. So like you've got your, your cartilage that will come in and bind it to hold it tighter. If you've got your scar tissue that will come in and try and heal and hold that position or hold that, that material even more bound because it was compromised. Right. So then you've gotten gone backwards initially because you've got this extra tissue in there that didn't necessarily need to be in that way. So based on you, on this conversation, what's your take on the argument that came up over the last couple of years in particular about whether stretching is good or bad for runners? I think that if you stretch static, I know a lot of runners will go down and do big stretches before their run. Well, initially, again, they're pulling those muscles as tight as they can go, causing those minor tears in the tissue and then expecting that muscle to perform at 100% in their sprint. Right. So if you're a runner and you're doing overstretching before your run, that is not something I would recommend. Again, I'm not like a running expert, so I don't, you know, take it for what sure. you will. But the other thing you also have to think about is, you know, people will, will say, well, you need to warm up. So you can, you can do jumping jacks. You can sit in like, you know, if you get into a hot tub before you do your act or whatever the case may be, that's very superficial warming where the dynamic movement comes into play is, are you working your ball and socket? as a ball and socket. Are you having it go in its full range motion before you have it do these super extensive amounts of weight bearing activities? You know, you don't need to stretch them. You need to warm them and make them pliable. I get the idea. I mean, I'm also just thinking of like, if you really thought about flexibility as a variation of strength, then working on 
quote, stretching from that perspective wouldn't be causing problems that, like you said, muscle t- slightly muscle tears or overstretching something would cause that would make the muscle weaker and less performant. Exactly. The more aware you can be of your muscular length, the better, mm. right? Because if you go to as long as you can all the time, you're weakening the entire structure. But if you can work more with more with understanding that it's not gravity that's bringing you into these positions, but rather you are placing yourself in your positions with yourself. I like to say that you're your best partner. You know, there's these partner stretches and things that happen. I say, you know what? People can't tell how far they're pulling you. You are your best partner and you will always have one muscle group that's working and the other is opposing. So you should learn how to work them that same way in any given position that you have. There was one time I was doing rehab for something I just remembered, and I was just doing a calf stretch. Just your kind of classic step a little bit away from the wall, lean to the wall, keep your heel on the ground. And I don't know how or why it's been long enough ago that I don't recall, but I ended up like getting this massive, massive stretch, like way more than I had ever done before. And it was just kind of stunning. I didn't know how I got there. I was definitely deliberately pulling myself there to a certain extent, but also even while I was doing it, this is at a physical therapist's office and I had the distinct impression that the PT was not paying enough attention. And while I was able to do this amazing, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) While I was able to do this amazing stretch, I also basically pulled both of my calves. I I was just kind of dumbstruck. Like, why did that guy let me do that thing? Even though it made me realize that I had way more potential for movement than I ever had before. It was not done in a very elegant way. Yeah, I think that's a really unfortunate thing that I hear a lot, actually, is, you know, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's a personal trainer, whether it's a circus arts coach that just says, now just do this. Yeah, I I actually train all the teachers here at Circus Island, and they go through my foundational training. And the one thing that I think has helped them understand how not natural things are for people, like stand up against the wall and push your heel to the ground, right? Right. Okay, sure. Let's do that. Oh my gosh. Why did my muscle just like fire and Charlie horse on me? Because it was overstretched one way. So it tried to counteract it. Your body's very smart. It's the smartest machine you'll ever own in your whole life. <laughs> you know, yeah, throw you those away. Car. this <laughs> is the smartest machine. It does stuff without you even programming. About it. But unfortunately we can program bad software as well. Yeah. And, and so with my trainers, I will have them teach me how to put on my shoes. Or I'll have them teach me how to sit in a chair, how to put on a jacket. You know, but I don't know what this is. You've got to explain this to me. I've never seen it before in my life. Now you got to show me, or you can't show me. Actually, you have to tell me how to put it on. Oh, and, that's back. I'm backing up to your, your creative movement thing. I love that one. Like if somebody handed you a jacket and you didn't know what you were supposed to do with it, how would you put it on? That's a. How could you really explain that? Yeah. And it gets so, it, it's hilarious for me. Oh my they God. get so frustrated with me because I end up with the jacket upside down <laughs> over my head. You know, they're like, just put it on. And I said, you can't tell me to just put it on. I don't know what that means. That's so if you've ever really had a coach or somebody do that to you, just do a lunge, just stretch your calf. I just want you to get on this bike, but there's so much more to it than just. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. I'm thinking about the coat thing because, again, similar to my crossing my arms upside down, I started putting my coat on the other arm first, mostly because I realized that I was post-gymnastics bad shoulder. I had been favoring the bad shoulder. And so it was getting less flexible. That will train the other shoulder. Correct. 
Yeah. So I started, you know, trying to turn, teach myself how to put on a coat up backwards. That actually has been one of the hardest things that I've ever had to try and learn how to do. Try and brush your teeth with the other hand. I can do that one because I, I had to do that when I had when I. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can only do it because I, when I had my arm in a sling for however long it was, you know, like a couple yeah. months. There's a lot of things I can do with my other hand now. I'm not going to get into that. And people are now, people are now <laughs> making you. up whatever story they want to make up, and I'm neither confirming nor denying. So, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you do that. That's very important, and not very many people think about that either. You know, um, we train a lot to say, hey, if you start always with your right foot, mm-hmm. try starting with your left foot. You know, more often, get even I, communication through your brain. I've noticed a thing lately, and Lena and I have been doing it as well. I've been watching people learn to use their knife and fork, quote European style. Yeah. in part because of just things that we're watching on television where people are doing that and you go, well, that seems more civilized. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So it's, you know, keeping your fork in your left hand upside down. And I, I don't really understand it, frankly. It still makes no sense that you would try and scoop something onto your fork when it's pointing basically down. I think that's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that at all. I'm, I have arguments with my British friends about this. They're, now, they're, is it more efficient or less efficient? That's the conversation. I think it's less efficient. Yeah. Because I mean, there's all that you know, patting things on with your knife to try to just weld them to the fork to then get it to your face. <laughs> I mean, sure, you're not moving your left hand; that's staying in place. But there's all that right hand knife work to try to you know get some potatoes and like shove a few peas in there to kind of make sure that, that there's things stuck to your fork. But think about how fork. stimulated your neuromuscular system is by challenging it to do that. Well, I'm just going back to what I like to do instead, <laughs> which is just use a spoon. So <laughs> I, I, can, I can do I can do almost any meal with just a spoon and I feel pretty good about that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, New training just, tip. <laughs> just use yeah. Well, and now, see, now the challenge is finding the right size spoon because there's certain spoons that are just like a little, some are a little too big, some are a little too small. In high school, my best friend, we'd go to this ice cream place on the East Coast. I don't know if they had them on the West Coast called Farrell's. And after a gymnastics meet, we'd get like this giant thing. They called it the zoo. It was 25 scoops of ice cream. Oh, my gosh. It had a serving spoon, you know, the size of his head. And he could somehow <laughs> fit it in his mouth. So, you know, he'd be eating with the serving spoon. I thought that Stupid was really Stupid human tricks. Yep, that's yeah, all. That was a, that was a good movement. <laughs> so normally we start this podcast by inviting guests to share a movement or a movement-related something. But I knew what you were going to say, so I wanted to save it to the end. So so as we're wrapping up, because I know your time is limited, do you want to talk about what you thought was the thing to do? And we've been kind of hinting at it all along as the quote movement that you would want to share with people as they continue moving through their natural lives. Yes. So my biggest thing, everybody to save your bodies, focus on what you're doing every step of every day. Are you walking the same way every single day? You know, if, you, if you're in school and you're on campus, are you only walking up one side and then, you know, if it's uphill and then going downhill, but you're never changing the slant of where your body is going? Because everything has a different angle, right? You know, if you're thinking going to a park, you've got different hills, different levels, different terrain, if you will. If you're always on concrete or you're always on the street, how you're getting in and out of your car, are your knees diving in? Are you twisting your knees as you're sitting? Or are you actually turning to the side, sitting down, picking your legs up, and then rotating them in? You know, that's Mm -hmm. a lot of where knee problems come in, is getting in and out of the chairs at your dinner table. You know, how are you standing up? Are you using your arms more than you're using your legs because you're bracing your weight on the table versus grounding your feet and standing up with those open knees? You know, I have a lot of people that I train who I'm quite literally just training them to do these basic movements well, because every day that they do them inefficiently, they're causing damage and weakening their structure. 
So, you know, watch what's happening with your shoulders when you're stressed, when you're typing. You know, are your shoulders going up into your ears? Are you leaning forward with your chin so you're craning through your neck, which is causing neck problems? You know, all these things that we do totally mindlessly. Mm. I challenge everybody to be a little more intuitive and inside of themselves. When those little aches and pains come up, stop what you're doing. Check what your body alignment is doing and see if you can correct it to get rid of those pains. I love it. I'm thinking if we had to turn that into a course, it would be like, you know, to, to turn that into bite-sized pieces would be on day one, you know, pay attention to your hands as you do X or on day two, pay mm-hmm. attention to, you know, what angle are your feet at when you do Y or mm-hmm. there's one that I've been noticing that when I read certain things, I'm turning my head, I'm tilting my head in a certain angle. Yes. And I've been noticing that lately going, why am I doing that? And I have a hunch it's actually because of maybe something having to do with my glasses or I I don't know, but I'm just sort of, but it's funny. I've just been paying attention to those, but I love the idea since we don't have this curriculum yet of like, you know, think of a a thing during the day, a thing that you do and pay attention to one part of your body and how it relates to that. And I'm also thinking like pay attention to a part of your body that you think has nothing to do with the thing that you're doing. Exactly. Um, Yeah. That'd be a fun one too. Cool. Yeah. Well, Jen, this has been a total pleasure. And I, 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 I oh, please. And so, <laughs> but, I, but I just love the idea of just the awareness that you're bringing to this and how people can then be really invited to discover their body more because natural is the easy thing, but we've just habituated ourselves to things that are not so much. And I do love that any good circus artist has really just kind of mastered some natural things. Like again, not throwing yourself, letting gravity do the work. If you're doing a stretch, but letting you do the work. I really love that one. So if people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, how would they do that? Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Jennifer Circus. I'm also on Facebook, but even more so, if you want to check out our business, you can go to circasylum.com and kind of check out what it is that we have, class scheduling, or even the programs we offer. We are definitely looking into doing more workshops and things for people. So even if you're out of state, yeah, we can come out to you and kind of, you know, cater to what you guys are looking for. And spell Circ Asylum for people who don't have any clue how to spell Circ Asylum. (laughs) I was thinking about doing that. It's C-I-R-Q-U-E. A-S-Y-L-U-M.com. Awesome. I'm sure you had no problem getting that domain. So, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, A, thank you, and B, for everybody else, thank you. As always, if you have any questions or comments or anyone you want to recommend to have on the, the podcast, drop me an email, move at jointhemovementmovement.com. Again, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find previous episodes to find out all the different places you can interact with the podcast. If you're on YouTube, you know, hit the little bell to get alerted about new episodes. Subscribe. As I always say, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. But most importantly, go out, have fun, and live life feet first. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashin. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.